this is Cosmo, and I'm here at Northern Voice 2008 in Vancouver, BC, at the University of British Columbia Forestry Sciences Center. And I'm about to uh, record Devo's presentation. Um, What is the name of the presentation? What's the name of the presentation? Fuck Stats Make Art. Fuck Stats Make Art. And yeah, it's going to be a little bit controversial because he's, he's, he's going to give a call to like up the ante on the quality of stuff people are posting. Yeah. And he's like, it doesn't matter if people are looking. It matters if it's good content. It's more important. Certainly, good content comes first, but you really right. I mean, I, yeah. I don't need to know when. I don't need to know when people's cats are going to the bathroom, and I see a lot of that on Twitter and other sites and stuff. You know. So it's my pleasure to introduce one of my best friends here, Dave Olson. He also works with me at Rain City Studios, and um, I'm really excited that you guys get to uh, hear him talk today. I think this talk will be quite a bit different than everything else you're going to hear at Northern Voice. Dave, um, I dragged Dave kicking and screaming in the world of Google Analytics. He kind of just didn't get it. It's like every moment I spend either looking at my viewers or trying to track new ones is one less moment I'm writing or doing something else that I love. So I've kind of always respected that about him. He's a, he's a poet and a filmmaker and an author and photographer and many other uh, awesome things. So. Um, anyway, I'll leave it up to him to, to go with the rest, so welcome to Fox Stats Make Art. So, when I was doing my pitch this year, I, I started thinking about the topics I could talk about, and last year it was pretty straightforward, it was, you know, it was about podcasting, and I started thinking, well, what could I really get that, that, that what no one cares about? that no one will show up for, and this is what I came up with, so frankly I'm shocked that anyone even showed up, because I know what, um, you know, Matt earlier said something really important, that there's a huge deal about the validation that you get from seeing who's coming by, and I appreciate that, but what I'm going to talk to you about today, we're going to kind of go on a little bit of a, a ride and talk about uh, a journey into kind of opening up some, your, uh, your own uh, sense of artistic sensibility, uh, which is kind of hijacked from us in a lot of ways, and this is kind of a tricky journey. And uh, there will be some, uh, some thrills along the way and perhaps a few, uh, perhaps a few laughs. But as uh, most uh, uh, spiels go, you have to start with some kind of big, important kind of slogan. So I thought, well, you know, to bring you in, because people are going to say, like, why should I care? And, and art, I've already got a day job. I don't need to do this. But uh, I figured if I came up with a big, important sounding slogan, there, that, would, uh, that would kind of get, it, get you thinking about it. And what I mean by this is what we know about history uh, you know, history may have been performed by popes and generalissimos and dictators and, and, and folks like that throughout history, but the only reason we know about any of them is the people who created art about it. The only reason that we remember anything or have any written, you know, any history at all is because someone took the time to document it, someone took the time to write that down, someone took and went through great pain to make some sort of art about it. So let's, uh, let, us, let us carry on. And, uh, and talk about that there is a big change ahead with, uh, with the way art. There's the traditional gatekeepers are going away. For years, uh, we'll go, well, we're gonna, I'll get into this in a second, 
But the fun thing about this is anyone can be doing it. You don't have to all of a sudden be an official certified stamp. I have a major label deal. I have a contract. I'm an author. Here's my book. I'm on a book tour and someone else is paying for it. Hell, any of us can do it, right? We're just like the inmates here at work. This was, this was funny because it was in front of a school, too, an elementary school. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, throughout... Uh, and, and I was kind of talking about the beginning, you know, it's, it's kind of a strange topic to be talking about here because, uh, well, everyone's already doing something and creating, creating stuff. But really, technology and art have never been better friends. And uh, as evidenced, by the rabbit and the fox enjoying a cup of tea together, a cup of tea that I wish I was having, but they're out of hot water. But uh, all of a sudden, we have these tools available at our disposal where we can go directly from idea to execution to promotion to sending it out there to the world all by yourself. Do not pass go directly. Go directly to artistic fulfillment. <laughs> so this is the perilous bridge on which we must trod if we uh, seek to take this endeavor. And, uh, and some of you in here um, are already creating fantastic art, and some of you are writing code that's poetry, and some of you are, are, are creating remarkable photographs that make me look at photographs in a whole other way and think, holy shit, I, I had no idea that you could even do that. But there's all these other things you can be doing, and I want to build a sensibility where you look at everything that you're doing and really take advantage of these incredible tools that we have at our disposal now. So with that, we sh uh, we'll start by refining our sensibilities about art. And, uh, you know, art, we kind of, uh, uh, the important thing about art is the original creation of the art. This lovely replica of David, as seen in an uh, East Van front, uh, front yard, doesn't really have the same impact as, as the real one. <laughs> right? And, so it's not, it's not the image of art, it's the creation of art that's important. Yes, would you agree with me? Yeah, that's not, that just doesn't have the same value. You know, during uh, World War World. World War II, uh, the, 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 the maligned, uh, the, poor, the poor French, the poor maligned French, went through great pains to protect all these treasures and would build uh, like little brick uh, igloos around statues and take off paintings and roll them up and went through these great pains to protect this art. I don't think anyone would make much of an effort to keep that replica as, as, lo as lovely that, as, as it is. Now, uh, our, our, I, I think a lot of problems, and I was kind of reflecting back on on, you know, as, as we're kids in elementary school, we're doing finger paintings and, and moving on and doing science projects. And, and you, know, you get to do a little bit of arts and crafts. And then you get into, uh, into, into high school and stuff. You don't actually have to re read it because it's not saying anything tremendously important. It's just that it was written by J.D. Salinger, which I'm going to get to in a second here. But I see everyone squinting. <laughs> um, um, but then at, at some point in your school career, they just start, you know, oh, well, if you're going to get serious, you have to go take serious classes. And I'm like, why didn't I go take welding and auto mechanics, something I could actually use, as well as art. But I'd go in there and, and try to learn art. There was this surly art pr professor who uh, was still working on the same Western landscape he started in 1983. Well, I guess it was 1973 because it was 1983 when I actually experienced that. So, um, and then I went into, um, I had the misfortune of doing some hard time in 11th grade in Utah. And... Uh, <laughs> And so we, I, I went to the English class. We, we can book, pick any book we want to read. Oh, my God. So I said, I want to read Catcher in the Rye. And because uh, I heard it was something, something controversial. And I get a note from my mom, right? And my, I had to bring a note saying I was allowed to read a book. And I was like, wow, that's fucked, man. And then and at the end, we had to talk about, like, what the book was about, right? And, like, share it with the class and the little groups and everything. And the teacher was really worried. She pulled me aside and was like, you know, I know this is a really sensitive topic in this book. And I just really want you to understand that some of the other classmates might be really sensitive. 
So I was like, it's a book about a guy and he gets kicked out of school and wanders around New York. And, and she's like, I thought it was about the Vietnam War. And she had no idea what it was. And so, uh, and she's concerned about this book, no idea. And she's teaching, teaching English at a, at a school, and you'd think that she'd have some concept of modern American literature, but apparently it's not a prerequisite in Utah. Um, last Utah joke, I'll, I'll probably. Um, so, so um, I've sort of uh, thought about, well, first of all, I've, of all the lovely pictures of the Great Pyramid, this has probably got to be the best one ever taken. <laughs> and finally found this to represent, um, like I didn't go to art school or anything like that, right? I don't own a black turtleneck and, uh, and <laughs> I'm sorry, I need a sip of water. Just gaze at the picture. <laughs> Think about how they built it, levitation, right? Any Freemasons here might know how they did that? Aliens. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. <laughs> okay. So art, art's a weird word. It's like social media. It has this big weird nebulous, <laughs> as we tried to define it yes, the other day. But um, what I kind of chopped that, things up to, I, I made a, a pyramid. Uh, uh, it's like a hierarchy of, of art. And you see the big, thick, fat part up to about the top of his fez. That's what I'm going to call the schlock layer, right? This is smiley ads and crap, and it's just commercial pablum. Um, that's goes through the same process. Someone has to create images and create graphics. I'm, being, I'm gingerly trying not to use the word art here. But someone has to go through the motions of creating something to put it out there. The same process, really, as you go through for creating art. There's just some sort of magical ingredient that's missing, which is the next layer from the top of his fez up to like the part where the pyramid gets kind of like it's going to fall off there. right? We're going to call that the craft layer. And not craft with a K. I'm the, people think, mmm, cheese whiz, but no, um, and, and craft, and this is where most of us spend most of our time doing stuff. This is when, I mean, I go, when I go to work, and I try to do a really good job, you know, because I need to get paid, and I, and I take pride in my work, and so it, it, but there's something that's missing. It's not quite, quite art, as, as, as kick-ass as a press release is all right, I'm sorry, it's never going to be art, right? Um, but, but this is a noble area, and this is where we refine our technique that then allows us to produce art. And a lot of times, you know, another thing we kind of get hijacked about art is, uh, you know, uh, abstract impressionism, and then Robert Maplethorpe is the only art, you know, would be the only art thing, you know, like weird art projects. And so it's like there's no sense of tangibility here, and it seems that people just leapfrog the craft of making art. It's like no technique, it's just weird concept. But I think when craft and intent married together, and voila, that crusty part on the top of the pyramid, that's uh, what become, that's, that's the art layer, and that is what survives over the course, long course of history. As we carry on, you know, it, it wasn't so easy to make a blog post. This is about the earliest blog post I could find. It's one about some people in weird hats bringing horses and bringing plants over uh, from another country. And this was uh, a cave painting in Japan. I was like, wow, man, you know, it must have been really, something must have been really important for them to figure out how to do that. So they must be telling a story. I don't think they were just doodling, right? Do you think? I don't know. Is, is this something about their cats? Is it a cat blog post? <laughs> um, and then people went, you know, it's like, well, we'll move on from cave painting because that's too difficult. We'll start expressing ourselves with giant rocks, right? And so they started moving giant rocks around and, 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 and expressing themselves somehow. I'm not sure what this blog post says. Actually, this one isn't the real Stonehenge. 
This is uh, someone else's art project in, in Goldendale, Washington. Someone just decided, <laughs> I'm building a replica of Stonehenge with all the pieces put back together. Weird, huh? But, um, but it's a difficult way to express oneself, wouldn't you agree? Difficult expressing with rocks. Plus, it's hard to interpret, too. And then they got chisels. Hammurabi's code. And noble. This is the oldest written thing that we got. And it's a fan-fucking-tastic picture of us. Camera phone in the Louvre. <laughs> if you squint, you can read it out, right? And, uh, but that's, you know, what do you spend? 20 minutes, two hours, a really kick-ass blog post. That probably took longer. I think that took a long time. And that's some early technology, too. They didn't have TCP IP, but they had chisels, right? They made progress. Go on. <laughs> And then, the, and, then, and then there's this whole period, the, the, the Dark Ages. I'm going to skip all the stuff that the Greeks did because they did everything that we're trying to do already and they did thousands of years ago. And so I'm just going to skip their whole contributions and make fun of the Dark Ages uh, where um, the only people who were allowed to make art, it was all patronage, right? You had to, you know, someone had to give you money and give you permission to make a painting. You could paint um, fat popes, cherubic angels, or there was something else. No, no, there wasn't. Um, and so uh, the, the, the monks, a lot of the smart ones, they said, well, you know, I could go off and get killed in war, I could be a dirt farmer, or I could go transcribe books, but the monks really were in it for, well, we know why they were there, right? They were there for the beer. And so there were five liters of beer they were allowed. I did some research on this to make sure the monks were really transcribing things, and I found out there was a little bit of transcribing, five liters a day, ration. Not too bad. Life of celibacy with five liters, dirt farmer. <laughs> um, and then a crazy thing about technology happened along the way. I, I skipped uh, uh, Da Vinci there because uh, I'd already done the, the bad picture from the Louvre joke, and my only picture of the Mona Lisa is a bad picture from the Louvre. It's kind of funny. Everyone's there taking camera phone pictures of the Mona Lisa, and the security are like, no, no, you can't do that. It's like... What, you're going to go make a calendar from your thing? You're going to remarket this picture? But, um, and uh, um, mixable oil paints. This is a huge revolution in art. I mean, it kind of gets overlooked. The fact that you could have your own little things, you wouldn't have to go out and grind stones and mix them with like strange things. You know, just squeeze them out in a tube. And that, all of a sudden, a dude like Van Gogh could be like, fuck it, I'm going out in the hills, taking my easel and some paints, and making a painting. And that seems like, well, no big deal. Everyone can do that. But at the time, it was... That's just not what you did, right? So then Picasso came, got everything all crazy, and then confused everyone. So all of a sudden, people couldn't figure out what paintings were, and people started, you know. He kind of came in and confused things, right? And that's where a lot of like um, modern American art knowledge ends, right? And, uh, oh, the noble typewriter. That was the part about the technology. That's some technology, right? But I'm going to go on from that, because that's in this place. So what we need to do is change our focus a little bit about what art is now, because uh, um, art just doesn't seem all that important. Anyone can make it to galleries much? Mm -hmm. One last Oh, one, we do. Okay. So here's my steps to doing this, and I'll just try and, and speed along and give you the last anecdotes. First step, I think uh, something that was really important to me was really defining who my heroes are. Go, the first one, Henry David Thoreau. Holy smokes, right? What a great guy to be your hero. Revol you know, inspired Gandhi. Martin Luther King died at 37 of tuberculosis, broke, sold 100 copies of his book. Oh, jeez, that's not the life I want, eh? That kind of sucks. Living by yourself in a little hut. So that's a little bit of lofty, lofty uh, guy to look up for, but revolutionized the world. But it is, just notch it down a little bit, because I'm, I'm not going to go through what he went through to make our D.H. Lawrence. 
started a whole class revolution in England while he was living in Taos, New Mexico. That's with that whole four, four hour work week. He had it figured out years ago, right? He's <laughs> like, England's uptight, I'm gonna move to New Mexico and make fun of it. Scandalous. What you, that's good, I like that one. Edward Abbey. Now, Edward Abbey, superstar in my book. Lived in the desert, started the modern eco-sabotage movement. Bulldoze, you know, putting sand in bulldozer, gas tanks. Anyone monkey wrenching? Okay. It's not red green? <laughs> no, no, it's not red green. Um, but then uh, he was living in the desert. Then the other six months of the year, he went to, he lived in, uh, in New York City and worked as a social worker in inner city Harlem and never told anyone in the desert that he did that or any of the thing. And I thought that was such a fantastic paradox. He also managed to write an incredible body of work, including Desert Solitaire. Geo Van Gogh. Oh. Oh, if you don't know his story, it's too sad to tell, so I'm just going to skip it. Gives me all weepy. Vaclav Havel. Now, this guy orchestrated Prague Spring, the Velvet uh, Revolution, the Velvet Divorce of, of separating Czechoslovakia from, from uh, Soviet Union, separating Czech and Slovakia, and all the bloodshed and all the chaos that comes out of those countries. Not it. No problem. No problem. But the cool thing about him is he parties with Lou Reed. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Zappa played his inauguration. He went, in three days, he went from the, the, from the prison to the palace with Frank Zappa and a million people out there partying. <laughs> I like that. But the cool thing about him is he's an existentialist playwright. Here's the first three acts of, uh, of one of the uh, famous plays. A guy comes out alone on stage, he stares for a while, pretends he's listening, end of scene. I'll be wearing black turtlenecks just to talk about it, you know? <laughs> so, so he's a good one, Gary Snyder. Jack Kerouac's old buddy, and now uh, he's actually one of these, these uh, a free verse crazy beat poet, but he actually like, gets respected and gets like awards from like the laureates and stuff. I don't know, there's some awards that they give poets, I have no idea what they are. But uh, you know, he's a guy who's a little bit more local, he's still alive, living a comfortable life, finally getting a hero we can aspire to, right? Which I, I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Nice. <laughs> here's, a, here's a great one, we're getting a little bit more local, Bev Davies. When I was uh, uh, a kid publishing punk rock fanzines, there was this woman that always showed up at every show and she's taking pictures before everyone in the fucking room had a camera. Right? <laughs> There'd be one person at these shows with a camera. The next week they'd have one of her pictures in the Georgia Strait. And, uh, and recently she resurfaced and did 144 punk rock photographs as an exhibition. There she is. I love to take terrible pictures of, of, of photographers, as you can see. A terrible picture. I do my best. But look at this. There's, you know, look at this. The dead Kennedys. You, you always think that they're going to look scary. They look like such a nice young man. And she like toured with all these bands and, uh, and, and, and did these amazing photographs. Now, here's another one. This is getting even local. Closer to scene, Jared Kroll. Jared Kroll is an amazing painting, painter. And he does this retarded street art. He's re, you know, he does album covers. You know, like, I tell you what, if you decide that this dot-com interwebby shit's not for you, art's not going to do it, just go buy some of his paintings, sit on them for 10 years. It's better than an RSP, I think. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so, look at it. All right. So, the next step, I embarked on some personal archaeology to find out where my artistic history came from and where it stopped. Bam. Why is this important to do? Well, I think I mentioned about the importance of documenting stuff. I found this great quote walking around Vancouver. There's some guy, Major James, something or other, tirelessly worked to collect and preserve the early pioneer records of Vancouver. At the time, you're like, I need to eat. I need to dig a latrine. 
oh, and then I need to go carefully, entirely archive all these records and keep them in a safe little box. But I think it's really important, you know, hold on to this shit, because we never know. Like this picture here I found, the Camby. This is the first day the Camby line ever ran. And I think of all the times I've ran, rode that bus, it looks, it's different now. Any of you don't? <laughs> not, not much, though. <laughs> so then I started going through, um, anyone have a box of crap in their closet of like all stuff that they mean to finish? Right? So I was, in preparation for this, I started going through this box, right? My mom uh, made me move all of my shit out of her storage shed, and I've been sitting there in a box, and I, I found my very first, what was my very first social media, declaring the eclipse of the sun. Now, any of you born after 1979, you will never get to see this. The next one will be for 500 years. <laughs> um, there was eighth grade subscribers, thirty-five. That's about my uh, my stats still. And, uh, and and Make Magazine has nothing on me. Look at this. But if they look at it, they will go blind. So here's a schematic. Look at that, eh? Surprise myself. Now, what could top the eclipse of the sun? Okay, Canucks fans. Anyone Canucks fan? Okay, Jake Milford going to Sweden. Thinking about getting some Swedish hockey players? Can you imagine? Can you imagine Swedish hockey players on the Canucks? Insane. Insane. Right? Look at this. Talking about building a 62,000 seat stadium? Ridiculous. How would they ever do that? So, so while, while the, 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 the Pick Express, the, the run didn't go very long, I did launch my first uh, uh, spin-off. Uh, my cousin, uh, Tally Backman, went on to be... Uh, have some uh, one-hit wonder, and, and look at that. Got to start right there. So if anyone's looking for a start, 10%, finally right through my system, hit-making parade right there. In 20 years. 20 years. Yeah, so then after Pick Express, I moved on to punk rock fanzines. Look at that. Xerox. Xerox. Yeah, some good stuff. And there I am collaborating. Bev Davies, me, I felt so cool. Look at this. Could take it to the, show it off to people. Could mail it around to people. Started communicating, exchanging with other people in other cities. And then I found out the secret. If you tell people you're like, have some media property outlet something, you can get free shit, right? So I started getting into free shows. That's at the Commodore when I was 14 years old. I got kicked out after that. For, <laughs> they found out I was underage. But uh, not that. you got cool stuff. Like, look at this. I was going myself. And there's really no purpose for this except to show it off. You know, I was going through this box of shit. And I found Johnny Ramon's home address and a ticket stuff from the last class show ever. So... Wow. That's no purpose, nothing to do with the talk. I'm just showing off there. <laughs> okay, so then rock and roll started doing all this uh, blah, 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 making these flyers and fanzine, and all this stuff all of a sudden becomes um, archival uh, materials. And now all of a sudden I found this, uh, a band, a show I was at, the first time in Surrey. Now you know my secret. That's why I'm so jaded and cynical and tough. Pre-Skytrain, pre too. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's other people archiving this stuff. I thought I was the only one that would bother holding on to this crap, you know, and scanning and all this. I go look on the interwebs, and there it is, a whole collection of all this stuff that I made, those fanzines, these posters, and all this stuff that I'd made someone, someone else had held on to for 20 years. Shocking, isn't it? I don't know where it lives. So then literature, I'm going to move through that, you know, started thinking, oh, I should write poetry, short stories, because I'm that kind of guy. And I was like, what do you do? You put them into a little book, and then you make them, you give them around to your friends, and they pretend to read them, right? Because it's nice, right? So, so then I, and I went through, and it, uh, I, I did another series. Uh, um, it's sort of a mashup of, of Japanese haiku and impressionist, uh, minimalist impressionist painting. Turns out there's not a huge market for it. And it was, <laughs> 
produced a, a series of like 50 of these and mailed them around when I was in Guam. Next one, but, but look at this, I was even, uh, 95, look at that, no copyright. Now, I, I know, Mark Cantor, visionary, Dave Olson, basically visionary. <laughs> they have papers, so it was multi-purpose, you could use it as rollies afterwards too, which I think is what most people did with, with a... But, <laughs> But as I was making all these projects, right, and spent all this money, because Xerox, isn't, isn't, Xerox isn't, isn't cheap, and making all these things, and I actually went and worked at Kinko's for three months just so I could use their machines after hours, right? <laughs> three months, hard, talk about hard labor, geez. But uh, um, <laughs> once I saw the interweb, um, and I realized that I could do all that same stuff, words and pictures, sending out to the people, but remove the cost part, I was like, holy crap, you know? I'm going to take all these projects, this is my closet just the other day, and uh, these are all, you'll see all those boxes and stuff? That's all the crap that I'm trying to sort through. And, uh, and that's after I pulled it all out to pull all this stuff out and jammed it all back in there. And all this stuff, you have the same closet? Old yeah. stuff, yeah. So why not start to make it into something? FYI, you still have some of that, you know. Anti-sauce? Yeah, we've still got some storage. Anyway, <laughs> see, now totally, totally I guess, I guess track. Okay, all right, it's all about you for a second. Hold on, okay, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next step. You've upgraded your heroes or found some new heroes. Mark Hunter, Cory Doctorow, Chris Crew, Jay Stewart. Pick your own hero. Now it's time to uh, embrace. If you're going to be an artist, you're going to be out there, you've got to really put yourself out. In order to make art, you have to put yourself, your guts, your soul, all of your stuff in it. If you start holding back, it's not art. It's craft. You're never going to get there. Great. Go get a paycheck from it. It's not going to be art. You've got to put yourself in it. So you've got to be willing to embrace. And now, Transparency is like this year's leverage or synergy, you know? And I don't want everyone to be transparent because there's a lot of shit I don't want to know about you, right? I mean, really, right? So it's really more about translucency and you have to get comfortable. Isn't that cool? Translucency. It sounds cooler. It's this year's word. Spread it around. Um, we'll make a meme out of it. Got to get Darren Barefoot to make a meme out of it. Um, but you got to uh, figure out how much control you want to give... Um, you know, how much of yourself you're willing to put out there. Okay, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. It's hard to take guys with goofy hair like that seriously, right? And when we look at this, it's go, someone told you, oh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and he wrote a document that was very pivotal in the French Revolution, the social contract, and you look at him and go, frou-frou, you know, he looks like, you know, it's goofy, right? But then I, start, then I actually read his book, The Confessions of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. I'm going to read the, first, the very first paragraph and the very last paragraph so you can just skip the whole middle part. That's the best way to read a book, right? I am commencing an undertaking, hitherto without precedent, and which will never find an imitator. Oh, little did he know. I desire to set forth before my fellows the likeness of a man in all the truth of nature, and that man myself. So what he goes through for the next several pages, all his sexual misadventures, the 50 jobs he got fired from, the people he freeloaded off of, the people he ripped off, um, the people he lied to, etc., etc. And at the end, he says, as for myself, I declare openly and fearlessly what... Whosoever, even without having read my writings, after examining with his own eyes my disposition, my character, my manners, my inclinations, my pleasures, and my habits, can believe me to be a dishonorable man, is himself a man who deserves to be choked. Thus I concluded the reading of my confessions, and everyone was silent. So, <laughs> it wasn't respectable to talk about that kind of stuff, you know? Now we're all blogging, telling about, oh, I'm having a fight with my wife and my cat sick and everything, right? This guy really took the transparency and went kind of nutty with it, right? Told everything, and he started a whole French Revolution. You heard about the French, they had a revolution after the Americans? Yeah? Started right here. 
But this could get ugly. And the translucency, and this is something I struggle with a lot because I'm really open about a lot of stuff I do. Um, I don't, uh, maybe you know that. Um, and, and, and so I constantly, I'm testing this tension because I, you know, I got a family and I got a kid and, and you know, it's, what, it's all cool to be like a famous stoner and everything and the magazines and everything. But sometimes it gets you in trouble. Like it did, the, uh, oh, this is the, the other part. The other part about translucency is shit's going to come out about you that's really embarrassing. So I indulge, you indulge me by letting me show off a little bit. And now I'm going to show you, this is, <laughs> what can I tell you? This is as dorky as it gets. <laughs> Aaron go bra. <laughs> I, and you know, I, I thought I, I really shouldn't do that, but if I'm going to show off and show all my cool stuff, I got to show. That's uh, I mean, that's really the most embarrassing thing I could possibly show. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so there we were, uh, cannabis cup. Uh, Jay and I were judges. It's very serious being a judge. You got to go to 29 coffee shops in three days and keep notes and test all these different kinds of things, right? And so, me being a diligent uh, social media maker, I took pictures of it all and made a whole photo documentary of it, put it up on the interweb, because that's what I do with everything, writing the bus, I'm taking pictures and writing about it, I'm joining Cannabis Cup and testing weed, you put up pictures. That's what you do, right? So then, uh, you know, I was out, uh, my, uh, my, then, my then new at the time, uh, how do you say that? My woman was out with her dad, for, she was my new woman at the time. Uh, and, uh, and so he's like, uh, so Lisa, that uh, new boyfriend of yours, he uh, smoke pot? And he's like, oh my god, dad, I couldn't imagine, you know, big old strap and southern redneck man. You'd say no, no, is always the answer. And so then he starts pulling out a whole dossier. Da da da. And then just when he's maybe, maybe he pulls out this, he's like, uh, yeah, that's uh, herbal tea. They're the herbal tea. Right and, 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 and then once you get to the, the weed vending machine, it's just a dead giveaway. So I was busted. Uh, I was busted hard. So now I, 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 I shifted that slightly over to the uh, under more control, especially since uh, the 13-year-old is going to start pinching in my stash any year now, so i got to start keeping it under wraps. <laughs> so controlling the translucency and be prepared, because the more you open up, the more fulfilling it will be. But just uh, keep your ass out of trouble. So next, express yourself with vigor. Um, I have a particular beef about uh, um, people who go through all this effort to make all these great tools and all these great, you got better looking blogs and sites and stuff, but there's really not much in there. You go there and there's just no content in there. And this being the most scenic dump, you can have a, something that's lovely and scenic and it can still be a dump. <laughs> so uh, what I encourage... I'm just stalling while I'm getting the beverage. Um, so we need to step up skills um, in order to figure out a new way to do things. Um, the great art is, comes from people who innovate and create new techniques, new ways of writing, new ways of painting, new ways of taking pictures, or a new slant on different ways of doing things. So you must find some way to do something different. Some people say, well, to learn art, you have to study from the masters. Bullshit. Go study from yourself. Go think about what it is that you want to make and just go make it. Read the classics. <coughs> People don't read anymore. Read the damn book. You, see, you don't know uh, anyone ride transit? Do you pick up those 24 or Metro newspapers? Garbage. <sighs> Stop picking those up. Take yourself a good classic book. Work through all these important books that you always say, oh, that one was really important. It must be really good. Read it. Go to an art gallery. Lovely picture taken from transit. Again, really, really putting Vancouver in this beautiful perspective. Um... <laughs> There is, this, this lovely image here represents the tension 
between uh, mainstream uh, uh, media and, and us uh, and us grassroots uh, inmate goofballs uh, upstarts. Um, I, 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 I make a lot of fun of mainstream media just because it's, it's an easy target and everything, right? But more and more mainstream media are getting into your game, our game, of making stuff. Like everyone's got a blog now. All the, all the big famous hotshot writers, all the political stuff, they all got blogs and they're, they're posting 15 times a day. And you know what? Some of these journalists, well, some of them, uh, some of them uh, they went to school and they learned how to write. And some of them are some pretty good writers. And all of a sudden, you're going to see this blog territory. Like, if you have the best blog that you run your mouth on this, you're going to start finding a lot more people writing on that topic who have been doing it and are paid to do it because they're working for some news outlet. The news outlets are on to us, right? You know, the blogs aren't new anymore. Everyone wants them. So in order to compete with those people, that's a pretty good argument for stepping it up. So what that means is find ways to do what you do better. Refine your craft and take it seriously, especially writing. Because I think writing gets kind of a, 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 a short end of the stick sometimes because almost everyone has the ability to, to type words and hit publish, right? And there's a big difference between typing and, and writing. And so all of you are generating words on the internet. And uh, I implore you to take that task seriously and find ways to write better. There's all sorts of lists and people tell you about using active verbs and finding your voice and all that. So sort that out for yourself. Just step it up and be very conscious of it. Cross-training skills. Uh, uh, there's some runners that is, yeah, sort of ideas for this. But um, I, get, I get hung up um, sometimes because I think that everything I write, I've got to, I'm sitting down because I'm a writer and I've been doing this since 1979 in the Pig Express. Every poem I write has to be the greatest damn poem ever written. And I, you know, I hold myself up to a, a big high standard because I get all concerned about my quality. Anyone else do that? All right, <laughs> that would have been embarrassing. Um, um, but what I found is when I get in that stuck place, I pull out, I start experimenting with a different medium, and opens up whole new channels of creativity and cycles back to whatever it is that I'm trying to get at. Um, and you know, I really learned about this from old Vince Van Gogh again. He would write all these letters to his brother, going, "I don't know how to paint. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Wow, I'm confused." Wow, I don't know what to do. What the hell am I thinking about? And he would use the writing and sorting out his, his ideas uh, for opinions, both from kind of how he was going to lay it out to just those struggle, internal struggles of an artist. Now, uh, I had an incident when I was living in Olympia. Uh, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to tell you the whole story because it will take forever, but I'm just going to uh, say it involves some college kids, a lot of cocaine, a rental house, and, and a shit flood, a backed up city sewer. Right? <laughs> Let's just say it was a really trying time for me. And I wasn't anything to do, I wasn't the college kid or anything to do with the cocaine. Don't get any wrong ideas. Um, but I, I, I remember coming back and I was just like, wow, man, I am fucking miserable. I've been dealing with this problem. I, 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 need, to, I need some art therapy, right? So I walked out there to where those lawn chairs are and I got some, some paints and I just started painting. And, uh, and uh, I, you know, I started doodling around with some charcoals and then I got some oil paint. And a painting came out, and I was like, wow, man, this is really easy. You go out and you knock out this in an hour, no pressure, because when I sit down to write, I'm like, it's going to be the finest tome ever. There, I can just go. And at the end, it felt really good, right? And so then I made another, and another, and another, and another. Made a whole dozen of them, and I was like, ooh, Gravelly Beach. I'll make, I'm going to make a po podcast series about this. Ooh, if I was a podcast series, I'm going to need some more writing. So it opened up this whole new channel of creativity basically from just needing another medium, another outlet. And it's something that's tremendously uh, pleasurable 
uh, cross, cross or anything. And it's not a big deal to get. I use the cheapest uh, equipment I can get, um, the cheapest, crappiest brushes, cheapest paints, and I throw it in an old picnic basket, and I just take it with me. It's no big deal, right? You don't need a, and, and it's easy to think, well, I gotta go take a class, and I gotta go buy some books, and I gotta go buy some canvases. Then I need those ermine hair brushes because that's what the fine painters use. <laughs> Whatever, right? It doesn't really matter. Just do it. Uh, ceramics, look at that. I made some pottery. This is another thing, you know, playing with clay is really fun. Um, and so now I've taken the paint, I got it. This is the other side. You know, I took the one out of the closet. That's the other side. So this is all the stuff in process. I'm trying to move all the stuff from the closet, put it on easel, see all the writing notes up there. I'm trying to organize all this kind of stuff. But start pulling that stuff out and dust it off and see what it is and, and, and stretch it out, you know? And, uh, and you don't need, like I said, you don't need big fancy equipment. People make art with, with spray paint uh, or, say, for example, black marker. <laughs> Wonderful things to be done with the black marker. <laughs> There's something very meta about that. So now that you're prepared to step it up, you've honed your skills, it's time to declare your story to the world. Go ahead. Oh, yes. <laughs> no shame at all, is there? Now, ladies, my chest never really filled out. Still the same rock, rock and roll. Um, oh, oh, don't, don't get hasty. You got me excited. Uh, <laughs> Are those candles? <laughs> no, that's all day. Um, I don't know why I put myself through this. Um, anyway, uh, the point of this is once you declare your story, if you have something interesting to talk about, people are going to be interested in finding out what your story is. If you just talk about what you might talk about, people aren't going to be interested in what you do. And if you talk about what it is that you're doing, people are going to be interested in it. But you just do something, the stories will come. And people will come and start paying attention to what you're doing. Because, um, you know, how I, 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 this will probably be the last time I make fun of mainstream media. Most journalists are very time constrained, which is another fancy name for, for lazy. And uh, um, and they need stories, right? So if you're doing something interesting, you can really help them out by doing neat stuff to, to write about. So put the log back in the blog. Blog about the neat, blog about what it is that you've accomplished. I've made this over here. I've created this over here. I'm working on this big thing rather than talking about what you might talk about and reposting what everyone else is talking about. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then sure enough, I should put those two together, the uh, selling the candles right over here to the Canucks. Local man provides commercial-free commentary to the world. <laughs> and, uh, no, this is for <laughs> something, something much less credible, the Vancouver Courier. Um, but uh, yeah, Roland and I, we did this crazy project where we did this companion broadcast for the, uh, for the, for the Canucks during the playoffs last year. Roland's nutty idea, and I just learned to say yes. I showed up, and all of a sudden, all the media, CBC is calling, oh my god, CBC? Can you imagine knowing someone from CBC? Um, and uh, and then the, my god, the Vancouver Courier? But, you know, the point of it is, it's, it's that you're, you're doing something interesting that people want to know about. That's benefiting and helping people. And I'm ready. Do you see the part about raring to podcast? Raring. He does. Do not feed the bears because the bears are not there. The sign remains in Stanley Park. However, the bears have been retired and the grotto sits empty. Now, the reason I'm telling you this isn't just so you can alter your vacation plans to Stanley Park, you know, to, well, you won't be disappointed because there's no bears there, but you're wondering what it's going to be about.
Um, you don't have to play that game with, uh, with the people anymore where you say, uh, I'm only going to make something if it can be published. I'm only going to record these songs. And I really make, like, you know what Derek's doing? He's making the songs. He puts them out to the people. He's not making songs. And what I'm going to do is now I'm going to spend all my time sending them around to every label. And then I think I got an appointment with Bruce Allen. And he might validate me because he might like my music. And all of a sudden, my work is so much more important because someone has made it, taken the time to listen to it. And they gave a rubber stamp. Is that important? This is something I struggle with a lot. Is it, uh, is it the, the writing of the book that's important? Or is it that the book, someone has taken the investment and believed in you and put it to press and loaned, you know, ran off a thousand copies and paid you and sent you around a little book tour? It's kind of a, a strange dilemma for me because I make pretty good beer money selling magazine articles, right? And it's really cool that when they come in the mail and I see my name on it and I give them people sign them, right? And you publish stuff online. I, I, I put better work and all my great things go up there but you can't sign the screen you know you can't take it home and read it on the bus it doesn't have that form factor so it is a, something a little bit tricky um, because we're, we're accustomed to I have a book now I'm a writer are you a writer if you don't have a book does it matter I don't know I, you're probably hoping I knew that huh that was just gonna come through and have it all solved sorry I don't but part of this is sort of redefining success um, now this is starting to look like a, this, is, this is starting to look like a normal tech conference presentation. I was like, oh, thank God. Um, it used to be in order like I'm a successful band if I'm on a major label. What you find out if you get on a major label is they lend you the money, then you they put your balls in a vice and they keep them there for about 20 years till you pay back your investment, and then they throw you out um, and forget about you and your cocaine habit. Right? That's how the major label business works. Am I wrong? No. Okay. Um, um, but now, that's not, that's not the important part anymore. That's not the end game. Now, I read about these, and the reason I'm making fun of the Google guys is because I read about them saying, we've all pledged each other, we're going to work for another 20 years. You know what? Why, right? At that point, I mean, if you're really enjoying it, showing up and doing something really, well, we can debate all day long if Google's changing the world or not. But really, what's the end game in your life? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? I'm not going to get all Oprah on you and start thinking of this. What's your true passion and what's your true calling? But when I hear about that, I'm like, why do you want to be 60 grinding out in a Silicon Valley? Uh, you know, that's not the lifestyle I want. Because I've been to, I've been to Palau. There's internet access. It's cheap. Why not go live there? Cut and run. So for me, that's really the end game for me is create art and go live somewhere comfortably, right? For those guys, they have a whole different skewed, what I think is a pretty skewed uh, end game. But... Um, the point of it is to kind of come up with something yourself where you really redefine what it is that you're trying to accomplish. What, what to you is successful art creation? Is it getting that major label deal? Or is it producing your own stuff and just spreading it out to the people? Or somewhere in between? Oh, that was the best part of Palau. But uh, that was a special shot from Mark Cantor, but So, uh, don't get precious. Um, I'm telling you all this big stuff about all those grand things and making all this important art. Uh, but really when it comes down to, if you get all too uh, wound up in your own uh, brilliance and stuff, you're never going to go anywhere with it. And it really comes down to sharing your stuff, giving your stuff away, and that's how this new, remember the part about this change ahead? You know, we kind of got to get used to sharing all the stuff. And this is kind of preaching in the choir here because that's what y'all do. You put stuff up there and we all share it around and all that. But uh, that doesn't mean that people are able to steal your stuff, of course. And this is a tension that we all talk about and, and people hijack other people's work. But at what point is it, is it being taken over? And there was a good example with, 
with uh, Leva Fever's uh, super popular, you know, uh, videos. Now everyone's copying and singing. At what point is it flattering? At what point is it just knocking off? But the important thing is to relax and enjoy the whole process of making art and, and figuring out these questions. Because there's no right or wrong answer to any of it. The, really, the only question is, what can you do to make your stuff better? And, uh, let's see, this was the counterpoint to the please don't steal my stuff, free for the taking. This one is uh, written on a, a top of a cooler, beer cooler. I don't know if anyone wanted that top of a beer cooler, even though it was free. But, <laughs> but this is something that, um, you know, I've, I've experimented with. You know, sure, it's easy, like, when you have a book of, uh, of impressionist Japanese haiku um, to, to say, oh, no, copyright, because... I don't think there's people lined up to plagiarize it. I haven't seen any knockoff copies in China yet. Let's just say that, right? But it's important to, to share your stuff and let people uh, to use it and, and collaborate with other people, which is what I did when I made this uh, big crazy film project I did. Um, quite an incredible amount of collaboration. And uh, um, the best way to say it is um, being willing to ask people for their participation in making something and can become a big collaborative art project that way. Um, in this case, it was a documentary film where everyone's input really produced the final thing. Uh, look at that. We're just going through the archives. Look at that little postcard. All right, more on collaborative art. This is the painting I saw down at Commercial Drive. Look at that. They just had it up there, and people could come up. It was all sketched out. You could just come up there and contribute just a little bit. Of, and uh, this seems like such a nice idea of people getting together and painting, painting some art together. Doesn't seem pleasant? Yeah, it does. And what happens with all the sharing and all this touchy-feely sharing, exchanging, and giving away, and please don't steal, but use it, and let's make it together, and let's collaborate, is it cross-pollinates. And this is the wonder of shiitake logs. Shiitake mushrooms, you want to know? They grow out of logs. And what happens is they inoculate one log. Right? And then over the years, the, the, mush, the mushroom spores spread and pop out of all these different logs. As soon as you start spreading your art around, it's just going to cross-pollinate and spread around. You know, Derek's music, again, is a great example of this because of the nature of music. All of a sudden, you hear it there, you hear it over here, you hear this intro music on this other podcast, and now you've got to get it out there quick so you can kind of be one of the first ones to, to use it and hijack it and remix it. And what that means is all around the world now, this is cross-pollinating and remixing all of what started in some dude's spare bedroom in Vancouver. I'm sorry, we call it a studio. <laughs> That's why I call my, yeah, yeah, all right. That's why I call my spare bedrooms a studio. Yeah. So uh, we're ready to, uh, we won't mock them, because that's just impolite, but ignore the gatekeepers. Um, you know, we talked about all these major labels and the publishing houses and all this, and why, why it might look scary, right? but it's just made of stone, you just walk right on by. Uh, turns out that, that, that big sword, he wasn't able to thrust it. He wasn't able to move his arm, so I was able to walk by without any fear. Just the same way that you, once you have your skills, and this is what I call the Hunter S. Thompson rule of art creation. Um, Hunter Thompson could get away with anything because he could write really well, right? And if you have really strong skills, then all of a sudden you can stir up all sorts of shit and you can get away with anything. As long as you have those skills, you can mock the gatekeepers or just ignore them at your peril, at their peril. But as part of this, uh, you've got to be, you be careful and you've got to make sure that um, once you're putting yourself out there and saying, oh, damn it, I'm an artist, you've got to hold yourself to a high standard. You can't be polluting your own uh, world with substandard, substandard quality, really. You're, and I'm not going to say that you're building your brand, but you're building your reputation. But more important than that is you're building your own um, 
um, artistic integrity. Ooh, this, that, sounds, that sounds so serious, doesn't it? <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I've got nothing for you there. Um, it's, no longer, it's no longer dangerous to touch and cross these boundaries. And it may look like it's just been a bunch of MacGyvered, sort of dangerous uh, proposition there of stepping out into the unknown. But they've been telling us lies for all these years. We can do whatever we want. We don't need to follow these old paradigms. Just like every distribution method is being turned on its head, um, art itself can be turned on its head. But this area can be unsafe for yuppies, which I'll change to major label record company executives. We'll just call them yuppies. But because it, 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 it is dangerous, and if you're not ready to, to go in there and really um, push yourself, it's not, don't, don't bother, right? So um, I'm, I'm making the whole provocative title of my thing. I'm just going to call it, how about more about me? But I decided fuck stats and make art would, uh, would get more people to show up. And uh, um, I, um, Chris told you, I, and I'm a, I'm a marketing guy, right? I, I basically just copy all Jordan Behan's ideas and claim those as my own. And, uh, and so, sure I'm cynical about, about stats, but really the, the point of it is, for validation, seek other things. You know, it's easy to go up there, and I was going to make fun of all this crap about, you know, if you want people to come to your website, you blog about celebrities without underpants, and you blog about uh, uh, guys hurting their nuts on BMX bikes, goofy people dancing around the world, but Matt already got that one. But... Uh, um, in order to play this game, it is important to understand the dark side and know what people do to promote their stuff. I shouldn't call it the dark side. But, um, uh, and yeah, I know my way around uh, the importance of statistics and what that means. And, but really, um, I leave that at the day job, right? Try and get lots of people to go to Rain City Studios, raincitystudios.com. Plenty of blog posts and pods for your podcast for your entertainment. But when I come home from work, that stuff doesn't matter. I get validation when someone sends me an email and uh, and said, I go to a, a private uh, uh, Christian boarding school in the middle of nowhere, and your podcasts are the only thing that keeps me entertained. Whoa, man. That's way more validating than, I had 143,000 hits on my YouTube video of me smashing my nuts in a vice, you know? <laughs> so John the Kung Fu Master is there, and it's easy to collect these hits. These are collecting in the underpants. Yes, there's thousands of people, and you've got all these people coming to your site. But really, what's the point of it? Is there some, something you're getting out of it? What is this question mark? Tell me, do you know? The underpants gnomes are trying to figure out. So um, uh, I have a whole bunch of WordPress uh, blogs. I put my little podcasts up. I don't expect anyone ever goes to the web pages. There'd really be no reason to. But um, so they give you some the little things and tell you how many folks came by that week. So I started looking at it. And it's like almost all of them are purple kush, which is a very specific uh, kind of weed. I did an episode about it. That, it turns out it's far and away my most popular one ever. And it's just some random one. It was me uh, and, uh, you know, just in the garage. It's, but it's like purple kush. Wow, I really feel like I've gained a lot more insight into my <laughs> listeners now. No one ever. They know, like, six ways to write purple kush. <laughs> purple smurf, right? <laughs> So, but it's the purple kush, like whenever I look at it, it's always purple kush on top, so I wish I could get purple kush seeds, there might be a monetization scheme there. <laughs> um, so then I thought about, well, I wonder how many people stop by, I got a little blog that I put up all the stuff that doesn't fit on my podcast and all that, and uh, to, to, uh, to see, like, wow, I wonder how many people stop by, and I was going to trim off the side so people wouldn't laugh and no one comes to my blog, but when I saw the 420 number, I just, I had to <laughs> 
there's two days where then you know uh, that day there I I I. I I had forgotten, you know, I wanted to know when the Remembrance Day activities were, so I put up a post that said Remembrance Day activities in Vancouver, and it turns out a bunch of other people were wondering that same thing, where I just, you know, put up the thing, you go to Victory Square at 11 o'clock, put that, and a whole bunch of people were interested in the same thing, and then they, they came, and then they all left, and they never came back, because <laughs> there'd be no reason to, and this is the one where uh, I put Barack Obama's position on medical marijuana up, and it turns out that guy Barack He's got a whole bunch of people on the internet. I'm really into him, so. <laughs> so if you can get over and find fulfillment in the things other than stats, you will be a happy Buddha. And then it's time to reap the grand rewards of all your diligence and all your restructuring and refocusing your thinking and diligently working on your craft and putting so much transparency and your translucency and yourself into that that it becomes art. Now it's time to reap the rewards. And when do you reap the re rewards? Probably when you're dead. I think quantum means when. I'm hoping it does, does it? Oh, my God. It's hard to find you know, a whole variety of Spanish verbs written on media boxes around town, too. Um, the, success the success will come probably long after you're dead. That's what happens to all the other ones. Um, but so what? you're enjoying the ride, don't look for the rewards. The rewards are just going to come themselves because the reward really is creating something that might have a chance of affecting someone in a way that means something rather than dancing guy around the world. What was that? Is that important? You think in 50 years people are going to be like, oh, this is, look what he's done. <laughs> together. You know, back, at, back in the early days, the world was separated with violence. Then one man went around the world and danced. <laughs> right? And, I'm, and it's, I'm, it's an awesome trip. It looks like he's having a great fucking time. I, love I don't know how you get that job. Rob, can I get that on the expense account? Um, but uh, it's not, it's, you know, it, it's very subjective. And I don't want to get up on a high horse and say that um, everything has to be important. And if it's not important, don't bother doing it. But the fact of the matter is, there's certain artifacts that will affect the course of, of human history. And I don't mean on a big grand scale, it can be on a very small scale. And that comes from really pouring yourself into it and not settling for um, kind of giving yourself a half-assed uh, effort. This is my pontifying speech here, so I need the proper slide for that. So this is, that's the, 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 the big thing that's, I think, really important to realize that where all these monks were transcribing, drinking their beer, people were chiseling, all of a sudden we have, we have you know, the interweb, you just sit down, here we are, typing, you might as well take, since you're taking the time already, might as well take the time to do something really good, right? Oh, I don't know, that was, oh yes, as the hippies say, you're either on the bus or you're off the bus, you must decide if you are prepared to make an effort to pour yourself out there to the people and declare yourself and let your freak flag fly. <laughs> and, uh, and this is when I was going to leave you with an inspirational quote about, from Henry David Thoreau about, uh, about uh, deliberately trodden the path and all this kind of stuff, but I couldn't find it in the little book there. And plus, this will be a good reason for you to go listen to my, my uh, I have my spoken word literary podcast that no one listens to. So if you want to hear the big quote I was going to read, just go listen to the whole back catalog. Download the whole back catalog and listen through it, and you'll, you'll just know the, the, the part there that Henry David Thoreau telling you the importance. Because if you go out in there and deliberately strive and do these things, just good stuff happens, man. There's something about karma in there.
And then I was also going to tell you the part about really to translate you back to geek speak is there's something more important than uh, working diligently to help Bill Lumberg's stock percentage go up. One quarter of a percent. So get out there and get yourself a fact, uh, 